Iowa everywhere. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. Sage Rosenfels, Brent Bloom, heard and, heard and viewed exclusively across the world, only on Iowa Everywhere. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Rose and Blue podcast. I'm Sage Rosenfels. Brent Bloom is out today. Happy holidays to Brent, whatever he's doing today. I have on a, a special guest today, but before we get to him, uh, for you, my my listeners and, and viewers, uh, when I started this podcast, I wanted to do it where it wasn't just sports people I met, athletes or, or, or coaches or people in the media, but actually just sort of people I met along the way. And, and one of those people uh, that had a great time with them, the, the, the few times we sort of hung out back in the day, uh, back in started 2002, I, I'll, I'll ask him how he remembers how we met. Uh, but Joe Movahill, uh, longtime entertainment industry uh, producer, director, uh, actor himself, creator, manager, uh, tour manager, which is sort of how I met him. He's our special guest today. Joe Movahill, welcome on the Rose and Blue podcast. Hello, hello, hello. Well, you called me and said, hey, I'm doing a podcast. I want to chop it up with you. I'm like, let's go, man. Let's go. Yes, 2002 <laughs> is when it was. Do you know where it was? 2002. Um, I had just met, uh, there was a guy that sort of took me under his wing in the D.C. area. I was playing for Washington at the time. Yeah. And he said, hey, we're going to be playing golf with this other guy who supposedly is this great golfer. So I'm like, great. So we play golf. We're playing golf with this guy. And we're on the range. I've met this guy 15 minutes. We're hitting some balls. And he's fantastic. But he's about 55 years old. And he says, Hey, are you interested in playing congressional? What just happened? Uh, tomorrow morning. Is it, did it freeze? It froze for a second. Is that me? There's no way that's me. Okay, 15 seconds. Go ahead. So 15 seconds, you meet him. Yeah, so I'm, I'm meeting this guy for about 15 uh, uh, minutes or whatever. So anyway, he said, you want to play congressional tomorrow morning? So I was like, sure, I'll play congressional tomorrow morning. Like, you know, who turns that down? And he goes, well, we're playing with Justin Timberlake and his manager. And I was like, well, that's sort of cool, you know, count me in on that uh, on top of it. So I come down the next day. I feel like it was like a Friday morning. We didn't have practice. Uh, it was in the off season, like in June and we go play golf. Uh, it's right at the end of the in sync run for those who have aged themselves and they're in their forties uh, like I am. And uh, so we go play a round of golf and that's what I recall. That's how I met Joe Mo Moville, probably on the driving range uh, yeah. is my guess. Yeah, I remember. And the thing I thought was so cool about you is not only being an athlete, and obviously you were a quarterback for D.C. at the time, 
was me and you were impressed with the little things, the the T markers that had the 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 what's the the thing in DC. Oh, the Capitol, the Capitol. Yeah, yeah the, Capitol. the thing in DC. Yeah, the thing in DC, right? The Capitol. And me and you were like little kids, going, "This is kind of cool, man." And then we talked about sports, and we talked about how I started in sports with the whole interactive stuff, and we talked about you and your career. We talked about Iowa, and I'm yes. like, "What is the hell is in Iowa?" And you got to well, no, it. hold you on, sort you of knew. <laughs> you got to fend it. And then you told me some of the cool stuff, and then the whole bike ride thing, I'm still going to eventually do. Ragbri. Is that what it's? I didn't even I bike ride. Ragbri, the registers annual great bike ride across Iowa. Ragbri. It's not a race; it's a ride, uh, and I do recommend you do it. If you do, I'll do at least a day with you. Usually, that's about how far I get. I've done Ragbri a few times. I do a day. It's actually seven days long, I believe. Yes. I usually do one day, two nights. So it's more of a party than it is an actual you know, ride for me. But uh, yeah, you see, so you dip your tires, your your tires in the Missouri River, and you end up in the Mississippi River. Right. On the other side of the state. I've uh, heard but a lot about it. I heard a we, lot did, we, we did talk about uh, uh, your you guys had toured through Iowa, Des Moines, I believe you had played yeah. somewhere and you brought up a local stab, establishment that had sort of a funny name. I'll leave that one out of the yeah, <laughs> out of the yeah. podcast. But uh, you and a bunch of 20 year old boys uh, uh travel around the country uh you guys uh found your your fair share of spots but I, i'd like to go back to how you started you're from new york new york originally new but i moved to orlando when i was young like eight eight years old so i technically grew up in orlando because you don't really know your surroundings until like 12 13 yeah um up until then i lived in new york moved to orlando started my my elementary school in orlando middle school in orlando at the time it was a middle school and then, uh, which went to ninth grade and then high school, 10, 11, 12. And I went to Dr. Phillips High School, uh, where DJ Khaled went there. Oh, yeah. Joey Fatone went there. Johnny Damon went there. AJ Brzezinski went there. Luis wow. Fonzi, the Desposito guy, went there. There's a bunch of people. Wayne Brady graduated in my class. It's, it was crazy, like a six year period that all these people graduated um, from Dr. Phillips. And that's how I got into entertainment, working at Disney World in Orlando and also Universal Studios. That must be a very odd way to be raised. I would thought Orlando's this, you know, anytime you are raised in a tourist town and it seems like its main industry are, is really taking money from people who are coming from everywhere else, whether it's Universal right. Studios, Disney, uh, the swim parks, uh, or for sports, people coming in for various things, or like mm -hmm. for my kid, my daughter, you know, national cheerleading competitions or yeah. dance competitions. Or those types of things. How was it being raised uh, in like a tourist town like Orlando and and people? It's sort of like sort of like Vegas in a different way. People, you know, your parents work at not casinos, but now they're hotels or resorts and things like that. Yeah, I think um, overall, I think it taught me a lot about hospitality. You know, when you're trained at Disney, you work for Disney. There's a thing called traditions. At the time, it was two days worth of learning all the things about Walt Disney World. And what's fascinating is, as a kid, I went in like this is dumb. And by the end of it, I literally felt like Walt Disney himself picked me to work for him. Hmm. It was the craziest thing that they develop in your head. But I learned little things that make a, the little things make the biggest difference. And so growing up in Orlando, I learned hospitality. I learned kind of how to treat people for the most part. Um, I learned uh, etiquette. I learned and I, and I had a, um, a field day or kind of a open-ended field to do whatever I wanted entertainment wise. The Orlando magic just started. So yeah. they called universal studios and asked for people to blow balloons up behind the backboard. 
So we did that as a part-time job. I got paid 30 bucks. It was fun. I saw, got to see a basketball game. During the day, I worked at Universal Studios at the Beetlejuice show, uh, which was an incredible experience. It was a live show, singing, dancing, so forth. I made a ton of money as a kid, like a ton of money dressing up. You, like, were, you were like an entertainer. I mean, you yeah. became an entertainer from a very, very young age. Is that normal for like kids that grew up in Orlando? You know, a lot of people do something in the – a lot of people do entertainment here because you got to think Disney – Big thing, entertainment, uh, Universal Studios, SeaWorld. Uh, at the time, they had Boardwalk and Baseball. Uh, they had Circus World, which was Boardwalk and Baseball. Uh, they have little dinner theaters everywhere. So the, it is a big entertainment area, and it's a great learning ground. That's why the Wayne Brady's of the world will tell you, he learned everything from theme parks, that he then took it up to Hollywood. I did the same thing. I learned everything from a theme park and within sports because we evolved that balloon into – throwing a t-shirt into the crowd, being the yeah. first people to ever do that. And then next thing you know, I'm working for the Bulls doing all their entertainment because they thought I was smart or me and a few guys were smart because we said, if you put McDonald's on a t-shirt, McDonald's will pay you money. And when you go out and shoot it into the crowd, it's a great sponsorship for McDonald's. You Rather came than, up, you came up with that. A group of us, not just me. Yeah. I'd love to take full credit. Um, March. Do you remember March shot? The owner yes. of Cincinnati Reds. Cincinnati Reds, yeah. So we got a phone call from Coca-Cola to go up and evaluate their marketing. Uh, they paid 500 grand for a sign on the outfield. It just sat there. It said Coca-Cola. Grater's Ice Cream, which I remember this. It's so crazy. Grater's Ice Cream and Skyline Chili wanted to do a promotion. So we convinced them we would go on a dugout in the second inning and shoot chili, which I can't believe they allowed us to do it. We'd wrap it all up and shoot it into the crowd. And they did a survey in the seventh or eighth inning. 91% knew it was Skyline Chili. 2% knew there was a Coke wall because it just sits there. It becomes part yeah. of the, you don't know. So that became interactive entertainment. And she was smoking a cigarette telling me, nobody's going to know. She had two dogs with her. It was exactly what you think of March shot. It was yeah. the experience that I had with her. But anyway, so I evolved into that. Started working for the NBA. Started working for uh, Major League Baseball. Started working for hockey. Started working for the NFL all within interactive sports. And then the guys from Orlando and Disney started this group called Backstreet Boys. And I kind of missed the boat on that because at the time I was working for the Bulls, Michael Jordan. I was like, I don't need this little boy band crap. And then they followed up with another group, which was in sync. And they sent me a VHS tape back, a VHS tape of them yeah. in Europe with all these people around the bus. And I was like, okay, hold on for a second. This this is kind of cool. This is, and I was kind of burnt out because during baseball season, I would do all like 13 stadiums and then overlap into basketball, overlap into football. I never had time off. All I did was travel. Uh, it was fun and it was a great time, but I, I needed something new. And that's when the InSync thing came along. And, and that was probably the greatest decision I could have made. Took less money working for sports than I made at Universal Studios. Then I took less money again to work for NSYNC leaving sports. So I took two jobs paying less money, which everybody usually takes a job because it pays more. But I thought there was more um, there was bigger ceiling pretty much with the different things. I kind of burnt myself out and realized I needed a change. And that's how I got into the entertainment world as a manager. Yeah, well, you sort of start off with like the biggest sort of conglomerate corporation almost that you have in the United States, Disney. And right. you sort of slowly, and you were a small, small piece of all that, but inspired by their their sales pitch, to which it seems like to me, 
gave you a sort of a marketing start, how to, how to, how to market a product, how to market, create excitement around something, um, get the word out there, get the name out there. And then you sort of evolved into now pro sports, uh, which is big in itself, not as big as Disney, but those teams are, are big brands. And then to the actual, like almost more ownership of something smaller than to build up, which was a boy band and NSYNC. Talk me about like you, you start with NSYNC in what, 1999? 96 is when they got together. 97, they asked me to work for them. I said, no, I was working for Jordan. I just signed a piece of paper. It's kind of funny. I signed a contract um, for image and likeness in 1997 because they were going to document the whole bull season because I did, I was like an entertainment. I was up there. I live, still live in Orlando. I flew back and forth probably 10 times a year to do some of the different promotions and stuff. Come to find out that that thing that I signed, that paper I signed all these years later became the last dance, which I was unaware at the time, wow. um, but they made all the employees sign to give away the rights. If they videotaped you or whatever it might be, no idea that that's what it was for. But it's kind of funny how that kind of evolved. But back back to your original question, um, the boy band thing, 96, 97, they sent the VHS tape back. Uh, when I was done with the Bulls in 98, that's when I joined on with NSYNC as an, an assistant. So I came from doing big stuff at Super Bowls and NFL stuff and the Pro Bowl and the World Series and the Stanley Cup. I can go on and on to then working as an assistant for a bunch of 14 to 21 years old, running around grabbing Chick-fil-A and stuff. But I knew that if I didn't do it, somebody else would do it. But I was also introduced to a whole new world. So I took what I learned in sports and then brought it into this entertainment circus and really found a niche with that. Now, you always love sports, but was it hard to like leave the sports arena for sort of pop culture and you know, a bunch of young boys singing to a bunch of teenage girls? No. What the hard part for me was I played baseball in high school. I was, I played for Dr. Phillips high school. I was one of the top 20 in the state of Florida, left-handed pitcher. Yeah. And I got hurt. It's weird. I, it's weird. I still remember that you're a lefty. Isn't yeah. that funny? You, you, you play golf with somebody or you play catch with them one time or you play basketball one time. And, and 20 years later, <clears throat> you still know how they moved and how they, I probably remember how you swung like a baseball, basically yeah. Uh, yeah. like a baseball bat. Uh, but uh, uh, anyway, continue. Yeah, no. So uh, coming from that, where you have, high school coaches coming in your living room and telling you how great you are and telling your parents while you're sitting there, it's not about his performance. It's about him as a person and this and that and all this great stuff. And you have all these options to go away from school, to go away to school. And then you get hurt with a pretty much a career ending injury and nobody calls you back. All those people that sat and said it had nothing to do with his left-handed pitching. It had to do with him as a person and his personality. And we want him to be a part of it. All of a sudden, nobody called me back. It was the greatest lesson for me about life. And I'm glad it happened at 17, 18 years old, not when I was 23, 24, if I had a chance to play any kind of uh, a different level past college. I think that would be a lot harder to find my way. But that's how I turned to entertainment. I was hurt, a little bit depressed, not sure what I was going to do. Back in the late 80s, they didn't know what the word depressed meant, but I felt kind of sad in a way because I thought- You had a low self-esteem. That's what they said when we were growing up. Yeah. Kid that yeah. has a low self-esteem. Yeah. Right. And what I did was a buddy of mine said, you need to come with me and work at Disney. And I go, and do what? And they said, be a character. And I was like, really? So I went out and next thing you know, I don't even know how it became. I am doing traditions at Disney, which I told about earlier. And then I started working and I loved it. I thought it's the closest thing. And if you being an athlete, 
you don't probably miss a lot of the prep work. You probably don't miss a lot of the the other things that went on for the game. And probably you don't miss being actually on the field. But what you do miss is that camaraderie. You miss that that joking with people and the family atmosphere, but family atmosphere in a way that all of you are trying to go towards a certain goal. And that's what I missed from not playing sports, but I found it entertainment. And what I found was entertainment is the exact same thing as sports with that circus that goes road manager, accountant, production guy, this, this, this. It's the yeah. same thing traveling around entertainment as you are are with the team but that was yeah. my that was my thing so when you say how hard was it to be in sports it really wasn't because i went from sports and then it went into entertainment and then back into sports and then back into entertainment so yeah all, all teamwork one way or another is that maybe like one of the things disney also taught you is this sort of teamwork aspect of everyone working together and, and being a part of a, a greater group because yes uh by the way uh the games are the best <laughs> I'm not going to lie to you, being on the sidelines or in an NFL game, the relationships are, of course, really the, the things you remember the most and the things that you miss when you're done. And uh, as you said, not just the other players or the coaches or the uh, there's equipment managers, trainers, and then yeah. you have to go up occasionally to accounting or over into marketing or you do a, an autograph appearance with somebody from the marketing team and you build up, you're in the lunchroom with the same people too. So you do build up all these relationships. But probably like a, a singer who's on stage performing, there's nothing like the rush and the sort of the thrill of playing in an NFL game. That is like, I think players almost have post-traumatic stress from not having that because you truly, like you can you can go from being on an NFL team and the rush of all that to some other uh, business or, or other industry and still have that teamwork in those relationships. But the just the thrill and the rush of being in an NFL game simply cannot be matched. Yeah, uh, just, at least, at least yeah. for me. Yeah, no, no, no. It's organic. It's the same concept. I've done some of the biggest deals I've done that I thought I would be excited about really were just okay. And then I would do a deal that I didn't really make a financial uh, home run or whatever, maybe, but it was so exciting and it's so fun because I think it's as, as a human being, when you're able to do things that you once dreamt of and then you're able to do it i think that's the organic part that you can't really duplicate you went to games before you were a, a player for the most part or a yeah. professional player so you knew what it was like to look down on a player so here you are as that guy and people think oh it's easy it's this is it? it's difficult it's not that it's not that easy because part of it you can't believe it i don't care who you are you still can't believe that you're able to live this life but at the same time you feel an obligation and you're trying to soak and enjoy the moment at the same time. And people are reaching at you and grabbing for you and be asking you for tickets. And so there's so many things that go around. But I think the one common denominator is, you know, that you did something that's very rare for people. And you experienced something in life that a lot of people have never really been able to experience. That's the magic of that. That's what I feel like. Some yeah. of the stuff that I do. I mean, I got a picture of myself right here as an eight-year-old. I'm not sure. I'm going to move my camera for a second. But it's see right there, the good looking kid with the huge, ridiculous shirt. Oh, yeah, I love it. Yeah, I have a picture of myself because there's times during the day I stop and I go, really, dude, almost like I can't believe this life that has kind of happened. Um, and I think that's the same feeling you might get on the field when you look around. You're like, really, dude, kind of that kind of feeling. I think the hard part about being an athlete, and I, I do think the entertainment industry um, is similar, though you can be an actor or a singer and have a a 40 or 50 year career, but most 
celebrities, whether it's acting or singing um, or dancing, where it might be, it's like 30 and under. Same with athletes. It's like they love you when you're young and you're pretty. And then, you you know, you're, for athletes, you're just done generally. Now, of course, yeah. guys, quarterbacks are playing until they're in their 40s. But um, that life cycle is going to end uh, at a certain amount of time. And then for the like for singers that you work with, you better have real talent, real talent and real commitment to make a true career out of it and not just probably one album or have a couple of good songs that went really well, but that ability to stay together. Um, and it said all the teamwork and stuff that goes into it is, is sort of magical for me. I felt pressure every minute of every day. I feel like, but it wasn't really pressure in a sense of like, if I don't do this, uh, I'm not successful, but it was like, I, I, you know, when I was in high school, I was just trying to be all state and, and, and bring my team to the state tournament. And, and, uh, then at some point I was like, Hey, maybe I can get a scholarship and get these recruit, recruiting letters. And then I got to Iowa state and I was like, hopefully I can, hopefully I can, uh, uh, start here at some point. I'm the four string quarterback, but maybe at some point I can start. I never had this, like, I'm going to be an NFL quarterback for a long time. Right. So my goals are actually, which I did. You said, yeah, I said, was this going to happen for you? You're like, dude, I did never thought I'd be playing in the NFL. One the scholarship said- offer, one scholarship yeah. offer. That yeah. was it. So I always sort of had this interesting thing of almost like shorter goals, but then every day putting all you have into, because it, it took everything I had to try to lead our team to a state tournament in, in basketball or, or football. It took everything I had to maybe someday be the starting quarterback at Iowa State. Took all I had to, you know, man, if I can just make it for one or two years in the National Football League, I might have a half a million dollars and I can sort of buy my first house and get a real job because there's no way that I'm going to last for a long time. I never thought I would make a career uh, out of it. It was sort of not looking at the long game so much, just trying to sort of survive each day. And, and the weight room in college is like survival. The, you're out running on the track uh, or on the fields uh, d- during the summertime you're not thinking about playing the NFL for 12 years. You're thinking about like, how can I get to the workout and, and beat all the other quarterbacks? And, and, but you're, you're living this sort of smaller world, but those lessons uh, and those challenges prepare you for when you actually are in the, 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 the bigger spotlight. When I was in the NFL, the, that sort of thought process of just trying to get my team to the state tournament when I'm a junior in high school, those, that same sort of grit, and and and, and um, that gr- that grind mentality was the same mentality I had, you know, when I was older. And you've seen that, right? You, you you've seen that. Obviously, uh, we'll, we'll go back to the in sync days. I, I don't want to just pass back because I'm sure I want to hear a few stories. Um, yeah. But you you saw these these bands, and then they sort of went apart. But Justin's had this long career, and the other guys have had their various careers, right? Boys to men, you you work with, they've had a long long run, a very successful run. What is that about uh, uh, these team dynamics that, you know, that, that keep groups together uh, to, to be successful for the long term? You know, you just said something about when you got to the NFL, you said all that preparation and, and all the little short term goals on the way up kind of subconsciously got you prepared and ready. What you do learn at that high level, of the NFL, it's just like Pop Warner or it's just like high school. The difference is there's money involved. There's more people, there's more eyeballs, and you're also living a fantasy life of being a professional athlete. Yeah. But at its core, it's the exact same thing. 
Yeah, you, you, you want to soak in all the like the extras because, you know, it's may not you know, there's only so many really fun things you get to go to. Right. But you also know those are a complete distraction from the reality that the the hard work is what's what got you there and what's going to keep you there. Yeah, uh, but deeper than that, the same thing as performing at Universal Studios for some of these guys, including myself, was the same on principle as performing at Madison Square Garden with 20,000 people. Now, Universal, there was, I don't know, 150 people there. At Massive Square Garden, there's 20,000. It's completely sold out, and they're paying just to see you. So it's a little difference. But in 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 the, the outline of it, it's the same. It's the exact same. Same principles of preparation. Same principles of being, uh, you know, doing your rehearsal. Same The only difference is there's a lot more money at stake, and it's your own brand rather than Universal Studios or Disney or, you know, SeaWorld. So that people say to me all the time and, and friends of mine from Universal, like, man, you're still the same idiot who I knew, you know, back then. And I'm like, honestly, it's what made me successful. I don't do everything right. I make mistakes all day long. But the goal is to try to fix the mistake by the end of the day and also realize that what we do isn't really that serious. And it's not like I'm it's more entertainment. Into, it's entertainment. I'm more into building like a life story than a professional story. That's why I never moved to LA. So I never moved to New York. I'm very satisfied here in my little world in Orlando and, and being able to do LA and New York things. So, so back to your point, how is it, you know, working with teenage acts or how is it working with these bands? It's all the same for the most part, the real talents, it sticks around. Yeah. The people who are, you know, and, and from NSYNC to Justin to Boys to Men to Salt the, and Pepper. the real talent with the with the right work ethic. It's not just talent, right? It's the work well, ethic. That's what I was going to say, I was gonna say <laughs> yeah. they all have the same not only work ethic, but they don't try to chase anything. They are who they are. They're just fortunate that other people like it as well. When yeah. you try to chase a fad, by the time you get to it, it's already gone. And that's what a lot of entertainers do. They try to chase the cool thing. What's next or what's this instead of just doing what they want to do. And luckily for a lot of them, people enjoy it and will buy tickets for it. For some of them, they just never win. Some of the most talented people I've ever seen are the ones that don't make it because for whatever reason, it doesn't resonate with commercial, but they're still super ridiculously talented and thrilled in their own little bubble. Take me back to when we met 2002. Okay. All right, we play golf and go to the show. Um, I see before the show, you're <coughs> excuse me, scooting around on your on your little uh, skateboard uh, in the stadium. What was your role, sort of, on the Instinct tour for the most part? Well, the first, well, so there's a tour manager and then there's a road manager, and the tour manager is the guy that looks at the whole thing. Oh, you all right, bro? A little coffee, coffee there. The tour manager is the one who looks at the whole tour and maps out all the different movements. The road manager, which is what I did, carried out those movements. So I worked with the tour manager to put it all together, and then I was the one with the guys at all times carrying out those movements, which, by the way, changed every other day. I want to stay in this city. I want to go to this city. Get the private plane. Eh, you know, it turns into a circus. But that's the, that's the idea. You're a traveling circus. And my job was to keep what the tour manager guy planned out pretty much on the rails and keep it moving. Mm -hmm. So they'd be there on time. They'd be there for the sound check. So when you have sponsors, you got to be there for the VIP meet and greets. You got to be there. Like there's all those little things. Sounds easy. When you try to get into a hotel and there's 2000 people out front of a hotel and you have to enter the back because they're going crazy. It's exciting and it's fun, but it's also challenging at times. Tons of moving parts. 
<clears throat> because yeah. I also met, you know, bodyguards uh, yeah. during my little stint there, yeah. bus drivers. Okay, guys, occasionally message me on Facebook. You know, hey, I was the bus driver back then. How you doing? You know, um, it's pretty amazing. The sort of the whole industry. And I just got a snippet of it. But you right. got, of course, multiple tours with multiple bands. Um, where let's go back to stay, stay with NSYNC for a minute. Where yeah. have you traveled? Where did you travel to with them? Because you guys are probably all over the world during their no, during the ironically, break. ironically, they started in Germany and Europe. Once they came to the States, they become they were, they were so on fire that the only place they really went other than the United States was the States was like Rock and Rio, which was incredible in itself. But mm. they didn't go to Tokyo. They didn't boys to men. I saw the entire world. Boys to men literally can go to any country, anywhere on this planet where a human lives and sing end of the road and they sing it in English. It's the most incredible thing I've ever seen. I literally had a dartboard. I would be like, where do we want to go? Sri Lanka. I would call. Next thing you know, we'd be going to Sri Lanka. I mean, crazy stuff like that. Yeah. How did you get hooked up with uh, with them? So after the Super Bowl, uh, with with Justin and, and the Janet Jackson thing. Oh, yeah. Place. The, what, what do they call it? A uh, wardrobe oh. malfunction. That's, that's right. When that took place, right after that, uh, and I got to give Justin a lot of credit. He was a young kid. And after that whole thing took place, about two weeks later, he decided to shut the rest of his stuff down. And there was like four or five of us that worked for, there were 78 people that worked for him, but there was like four or five of us that was kind of core guys from his head of security, Eric, who you knew, and uh, myself yeah, and a yeah. few other people. Big E. Big E, right. And, and this young kid with all this pressure breathing down his neck, literally pulled the plug to stop working for a minute and let things calm down basically took care of his core group of people and said, I'm still going to pay you because this isn't anybody's fault. This is just circumstance. So I was getting paid sitting at home and I got a call from the Dixie chicks to go out. I got a call from some other bands, but I didn't want to just run the band, the band, the band, the band, because that really wasn't my DNA. I wanted to kind of stick with one core group. And Justin Timberlake's manager, uh, Johnny Wright called me and said, Hey, I need you to go to Japan. And I said, you're going to pay me. Because I already know you get paid by Justin. I'm like, so I'll double dip. They Why do that. They, they do that in the NFL too, by the way. They do. Okay, yeah, we yeah. already know you're getting paid by another team because they cut you and you, you had a signing bonus. So. Exactly, exactly. So I said, "What do you want me to do?" He goes, "Can you go to Japan? I can't go. Can you just go and check out and tell, give me a report? What's going on?" I'm like, "I've never been to Japan. I'm in." So I jump on a plane. I go to Japan. Two songs in, literally. I'm not kidding. Two songs in, I ran to a payphone and called him collect, and I said, "Dude, this is a gold mine." They have songs that are so ridiculous. I, I had all these crazy feelings going two songs in. I was going nuts and I stayed out with them. I was only supposed to be there for three days. I stayed out for a month. We came back to the United States. I started working with them through Johnny. Then they wanted me to be more influential in their management and their career. So me and Johnny both managed them to the point where Johnny was kind of non-existent. He had the Jonas Brothers and crazy big things going on. And Johnny called me one day and said, hey, can you do me a favor? I said, what? He goes, because I used to split the commission with him. Mm -hmm. So if I got five grand, I would send him 2,500. And I no contract, but that's what I did. For three years, I did that. And he called me up and said, you don't have to send me any more money. As he goes, you lived out what you said you would live out. I said, hey, man, it was an agreement. You didn't have to send me to Japan, mm -hmm. right? I Who knows where I would have been? So I always look back on that. And he, like I said earlier in this thing, the little things make the biggest difference. 
Now, it's not a little thing to constantly write somebody a check. Trust me. And I told him when I was writing the check, I'm like, this son of a bitch doesn't do shit. <laughs> you know, I had all those feelings that we normally have, but he's still a good friend. He's still a good confidant. He's still a good mentor. Uh, he's still big in the business. And I look at that and, and I, I'm proud that I did that because everybody's so shocked by it. They're like, you really paid him for three, literally three years. Every check I got, cut it in half. And then that's how I started managing boys to men. And then now I've been with them for 17, 18 years, since 2004. And uh, they've been a great gift for me because it allows me to be creative. It allows me to try stuff. I've called them up and said, hey, I heard Grease Live is doing something. I called the guys who did Hamilton, the musical director, said, hey, they should be teen angels. And they were like, black, three black teen angels playing Frankie Valley. I'm like, yeah, I think it's funny. I think it's incredible. And I think they can kill it. Luckily, he agreed with me, fought with all the executives. Then they did the Grease thing with Julianne Huff and all that. And that was the most tweeted part of that whole live performance was that. And they did a great job. And like that, I, that's the stuff excites me. I didn't make a lot of money on that. Probably I didn't make any money on that. But the creative part of it, giving it a shot and them trusting it and those guys coming in. And that's the one thing Boys to Men did. Justin did. Joey Fatone does. They over deliver. So I'll tell you, hey, by the way, say this is what they're going to do here, 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 here. And then you go, okay. And they show up. And not only do they do what I told you, they exceed. And then you call me up and like, dude, that was better than I ever thought. That's really the ingredient that I work with guys that get it. They understand. Yeah, they get a little nuts and they get a little rock starish at times. But that's just the pressure of the business. But as far as as a core, as a human being, they're solid people. And that's why it's easier to be successful when you kind of stay consistent. Do you think that some of your secret sauce is not just the management, but the creativity to <clears throat> connect dots and get your get the people that you're representing, uh, whether it's into a commercial or at a show or involved in something else that may be unrelated and sort of bringing those things together through through all your various connections and experiences? I, I think I'm not scared to have a conversation. And, and I've had conversations with the talent and said, I'm not really 100% sure, but let's just exercise this. Let's just walk through this exercise. And I start explaining what I think if we do this, do that. And then they add to it and add to it. And the original conversation that I wasn't scared to have evolved into a Super Bowl halftime show, evolved into this, evolved into, you know, the Grammys with Kobe, Kobe Bryant passing away. Tragic day it was terrible that day. Alicia Keys didn't know what to do. They were looking who was in the building. We were working with Tyler, the creator. I got a phone call saying, would you, would the guys do anything to tribute? Now, Wanye, Nate, and Sean all knew Kobe from Philadelphia when he was a kid because that's where he came mm. from. So it was a very odd day for all of us, but it was that willingness to be open and having conversations resulted into them doing the performance with Alicia Keys. By the way, that wasn't a professional thing. That was a personal thing. Mm -hmm. Like, that's the one thing about the Kobe passing that I think everybody, whether you're a basketball fan or not, I think what you learned in that is super successful guy had everything in the world, yet something like that could happen to him. And if it could happen to him, it could happen to you. And I think that's the most resonated thing. Why so many people felt that that one, that was a big feel for everybody. It, I think it was, it was also, I think for me, it was, you know, I wasn't a Lakers fan. I grew up Bulls fan. Jordan was my guy. Right, right. So, right at Kobe, I remember uh, talking to my brother 
um, who was early on a Kobe Bryant fan and saying, yeah, I don't really like this Kobe guy. Seems sort of selfish. Seems sort of like a, a sort of big, too big, too big for his britches right off the bat. I'm a Midwesterner. We're old, old fashioned here. Uh, right. It just doesn't seem real and authentic to me. That was actually the conversation. It just doesn't seem real and authentic. And my brother was like, how could he be real and authentic? He, his dad was an NBA player. He grew up in Italy. Uh, he's been a star since he was 14 years old. He plays yeah. for the Los Angeles Lakers, the most fake place in the world, basically. Yeah. How can he, you know, what you're looking for as he, and he's 19 years old. So, you know, give the kid some time. And what I loved about Kobe is obviously he had his career and, and how he, uh, we all know about his work ethic and, and his dedication to sport. But when he was done and, you know, I'm older than him. And so there's this thing where your career ends and now what? And it seemed like to me, he was when he was done playing basketball was truly when it felt like to me, his life was going to begin. That's what it felt like to me. Yeah. Uh, his, his, his more time with his kids, uh, more time doing charity things. I mean, he just dove right into it. Uh, and a lot of players just sort of go away or they take a year or two off and then they, I'll get into something. And I, he was just right away. And I sort of liked him more and more, actually, uh, yeah. almost after he was done as a non, you know, Lakers fan and all those things. So, yeah, yeah. It, it's such a tragic day. You've been around uh, this, this crazy entertainment industry. What other, you know, tragedies have you had to sort of deal with, um, <laughs> you know, in, in that time with, you know, you, again, you're dealing with some young, young kids and you're dealing with uh, people who are much older. Atlantic City on one of the Justin runs, uh, one of the, the, the trust collapsed. Uh, I was in the building. Uh, it was two o'clock in the afternoon. Justin wasn't there yet. They were just setting the stage, what they call roll the stage, where they put the stage underneath everything and they plug everything in. That's an elementary way to put it. Yeah. <laughs> but that's what was going on. And, and one of the metal risers snapped and came crashing down. I thought it was a joke. I was inside and the whole building kind of rumbled. And then you hear on the radio and it wasn't what you heard on the radio. It was the tone of the voice mm. from some of the employees yelling, call 911, call 911. And I thought maybe there was an explosion. You know, after 9-11, um, that whole thing made you think differently when you heard a loud noise or you saw something that looked suspicious. And uh, that was a, that was a rough day. Nobody got uh, really hurt too bad. Uh, one guy broke his leg, I think, and a lot of people got cut. But luckily... Every, everybody got away fairly safely. Uh, but that was a rough one because I, I, I remember the, the sound, but more importantly, I remember the radio. I remember one gentleman saying 9-1 was the way he said it. Yeah. The tone of his voice that he said it was so freaky to me. And then I ran out there and I see just metal mangled up and people yelling. It's like, and then you're thinking who's underneath there. Mm. And one guy stepped up immediately, got all the heads of the different departments, the lighting department, the sound department. Uh, the crew department, the bus to everybody and had everybody check in within two minutes. He had everybody checking in because then we had to see, was anybody underneath there? And for those two to three to four minutes, it was kind of freaky to think you were a part of something that could change not only your life, but somebody's life. If somebody was underneath that mangled up. Yeah. And it's easy to talk about it now, but at the time it was quite freaky. Like that was a freaky scenario. Obviously, 9-11, we had a gig in, in Turks and Caicos on September 10th. Mm. September 9th, we performed it with Michael Jackson in New York for a charity event, flew to Turks and Caicos, and then flew out the night of September 10th. 
Some people didn't fly out of Turks and Caicos. They stayed. They were stuck for three weeks. Now, some people go, it's not a bad place to be stuck. But with the whole world, with the open, like with stuff you've never seen or felt or understood or comprehended before, it was it was scary to be away from home. I luckily was home, but that was a that was not. But I think everybody experienced that. That just wasn't an entertainment thing. The entertainment tragedy that I saw was the the building collapsing, that or the stage collapsing. Um, you see some other things that go on, uh, some bomb bomb threats. Luckily, nothing happened. Um, you, I mean, you, but you also just see the entertainer themselves sometimes self-destructing totally, and almost being tragedies, right? There's, there's a million stories about, you know, the one hit wonders that they got famous off of one song or whatever. They get into drugs, they get into the wrong crowd yeah. and it comes crumbling down fast. Yeah. But you, you said you, something earlier, you said something earlier that when you were on the field, you can never duplicate that. So when you say a one hit wonder, I anybody who I know that had any kind of success in anything entertainment or anything in sports, I applaud. Yeah. You know, what's wrong with somebody who had a big hit record that everybody loves their song? Listen, I had like two good games my whole career. So oh, I, stop. I, 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 stop. You, you had three. You I had had my two. fair share. Yeah, I had three. Three hit wonder. Three hit wonder. No, no well, but you, my point is people are people are strict on that. Or they make fun. Oh, he was only a one hit yeah. wonder. What's wrong with that? Like you know how hard it is to do what that person did or even make professionally and not let alone. And I don't know if your audience knows this, but in the NFL, the running joke is you want to hang on till you get to your pension. <laughs> yeah. You can hang on to get a pension. What's pension? Four and a half or five years? Uh, it's three and a half years, which really is four years. But yeah. uh, the average life, average night life expects me, but the lifespan of a career is three years. So they make that just above the average because that are really, of course, they want to pay anybody. You have had, of course, this, this, this long wild career. You've seen a lot of things. We're not going to go into all the the behind the scenes things that you've seen, but obviously you're, you've led a very different lifestyle than your average person. Right. How has it been raising three daughters? <laughs> um, it's been fun. Like I, I, I'm just thrilled that I've never had that. I wish I had a son feeling never had it. Um, I did on the, after I had two kids, my third kid, I was hoping for a boy when it didn't happen. I was like, okay. And then I was done. Then I wouldn't even hug my wife. It's like, get away from me. I didn't want to have another kid. I was like petrified to have another girl, have four girls. But after it's been fun for me. And my relationship with them is almost not father, son. I just try to be a friend of theirs with discipline, if, if that makes sense. Yeah, guidance. Yeah, and it's been fun. My one daughter just graduated from Tennessee. My other one goes to Clemson. You know, everybody's like, why would you let your kids go out of school? I'm like, that's where they felt comfortable. Or out of state, sorry. Because the state of Florida, they all had grades that they had a full ride. Yeah. So logically, you say pick Florida, pick Florida State, you know, stay in state. But they uh, they felt the most comfortable in the two cities that they and and I did the whole tour with them. I went around. I loved the experience of that. To me, that was that was fun. Um, I will tell you, I was a little bit more protective at concerts with my kids just because I I you know the bad stuff is what you remember. So you become a little bit more maybe over analyzed little stuff here and there. Yeah. Uh, but overall, I've been quite happy with, I call them invoices, invoice one, two, and three, because everything costs money that they touch. And especially now that they're older, um, it's kind of my daughter, the Kentucky Derby with me last year. That was a fun experience. My dad went everywhere with me. He just passed away this year, but he went everywhere. All the cool sports stuff I did, the World Series, the Super Bowl, the Kentucky Derby, all that stuff. My dad was my guy because mm. I didn't have a son to share that with and almost felt reverse. 
that this was my dude. So we're going to go everywhere. Um, and now my daughter's 21, 19. They're, they're starting to be able to experience some of the stuff. They went to the Grammys with me. Uh, they've been to the Country Music Awards with me. And they've been able to see some of the stuff. And I want them to see it because I want them to know when dad's not there, um, he's out working. It's not just fun. And, it looks like fun and games. I know yeah. it, but it's not. And now that you can come out and experience some of the the more positive benefits of this crazy life. I love that they get to experience that. You know, at Disney, we get tour guides where we don't wait in line, but there's sometimes I go out to Disney purposely with them and we wait in line because I knew what it was like. I still know what it's like. I still think it's ridiculous that some of these perks come along, but I still do some of the, the grimy crap, I guess, as I want to say, as I used to do, because it not only keeps you humble, but I think it also teaches them that, you know, life is, could be a lot of fun and a lot of great perks. I heard somebody say, never spoil your kids too much because if you spoil your kids too much, you, you want to spoil your grandkids, not your kids. Because mm -hmm. if you spoil your kids, you're going to end up taking care of your grandkids. <laughs> and it was a pretty yeah. powerful statement <clears throat> that I always remember. Now, of course, our kids, your kids, my kids, everybody's kids spoil. Let's be yeah, honest. Because right. that's well, what right. we do. I was just talking about this yesterday. Um, you know, my, my daughter uh, flew to New York uh, this past weekend. My aunt is an acting coach in New York. Okay. I get her tickets to her, the Rangers game, uh, you know, I don't know, 10 rows up from the, from the ice. Cause I got a buddy who used to play for the Rangers and now he works okay. for the Rangers. My aunt gets her tickets to Hamilton fifth row. The next night they go to SNL uh and my aunt's friends with colin jost and so now they're chatting with colin jost all right then the next night they went to another play sat right in the front it's like you spoil them uh they get all these benefits right mm -hmm. but you you also uh and i was talking to the to my buddy the, the the former ranger we worked for that we worked for the to to give our family those little extra benefits and it is really fun and exciting to be backstage at a uh, at a concert or get that extra access and, and, and meet those, you know, extra special celebrity people or athlete uh, people. So there's this aspect of like, man, I've spoiled them because now they go to New York and they're expecting yeah. the greatest tickets to everything, uh, which is not a reality, but it's also like, you know what? Uh, uh, those are unbelievable experiences. And I'm really, I'm happy that I worked really hard. Sure. Um, and either uh, create those connections or just financially can afford to get them really good seats. Cause that's what I want to do. I want to do those fun things too. So How I want to do them. How old uh, is she? 18. She's a freshman uh, in college. Okay. So you see, I think that's a great age to share some of that. Like I said, me and my kids would go to Disney. I would wait in line with them purposely. I just went to senior day in Tennessee. I purposely got crappy seats and I wanted to sit with them in the upper bowl. I wanted to do, and they were looking like, really, dad, you're going to get it. And I'm like, no, man, this is what it's like. I used to go to magic games and sit in the last row. I couldn't afford anything. I used to like, to me, all those things are, I think it's fun. Like when I went to the Super Bowl for years, I sat in the sponsorship section. It was boring. A bunch yeah. of stiffs, the 45 yard line. This is true. Stiffs. This is true. The I most overrated. I want to go with the guy who got popcorn and pretzels and mustard and shit on his face. That's my guy. Like it is true. The the most overrated place to be in any stadium is in a box. Yes. It is. It's they're never. Well, they're, I, I mean, there's there's. I should say that yeah. there's some things. It was pretty nice. I'll be there's honest. some things that are nice about it, but a lot sometimes the the nicer the box, the stuffier the clientele. So they're not all always that interesting uh, to yeah. talk to. And yes, the the people that are sitting in the end zone. 
uh, behind the goalposts. Many times those are the hardcores and those are people that have way out spent their budget to get there. I was just at a Chargers game a, a few weeks ago and sat by some people who they're expensive tickets and and, uh, and and they were rough around the edges, but having the time of their lives. And, but why and were they? Bands. But hold on. That's a great example. Why were they? Because it meant everything to them. It's really, everything. really important to them. And it's not always important to the you know stockbroker or the Wall Street guy or whatever it might be in the box. It's a tax write-off and they have to bring clients to it. Right. right. So, I want to be with the person who's not only saved, but worked, but is appreciating that moment. Cause then you find yourself in that moment with them and you start doing stuff that you haven't done in years. Yeah. Like I'm doing a beer bong with some guy I don't even know. And I would have never done that if I was sitting up with the executives. So I don't know. There, there's a, there's a plus and a minus to all the perks. Trust me. I'm not saying I don't want them. Yes, you're right. We do want them. And I think we have worked hard enough and 30 years later. I think we've built enough credibility to have some of these, these things. Um, but it is fun for me. And you asked earlier, how do you keep three daughters in line? I, I don't know if I keep them in line, but I try to still do things that I did when I was a kid that I still dreamt of doing later on, rather than always getting hand out and hand this seat, that seat, yeah. backstage passes and, pro, you know, and I'll do it myself. I literally will go and suffer myself to prove to them a point that this is real life. This other stuff is not real life. You know, it's, it's a part of the life, but it's not the last, complete life. Last question. Yeah. What's next for you? What's next for Joe Mobile? So I think 2023, I'm not a big new year guy, but I did some stuff this year that I think I did because I felt like I didn't make it. So I had to prove something to who I don't know what. Uh, and I put myself in, in different positions that made me stressed out, which I don't ever I used to never get stressed out, lose sleep because I'd wake up in the middle of the night and be like, why'd you do that? And I think that what I realized is, is blessed. I hate that word as uh, fortunate. As life has, has, my job isn't to constantly like prove to anything to anybody. My job is to protect what I built for 30 years and try to have as much fun as possible. So back to the point, I'm going to build more of a life resume than a professional resume. You know, once a month, I'm going to take some stupid class, whether it's cooking class, don't laugh at me, painting or something, because I want to do these different experiences that I think after a year of doing 12 of them, if I do once a month, and I did that for 10 years, that's 120 unique small little experiences that I would have never done. And when I think about that, I kind of get excited because all the dumb shit that I've done that ends up being the best stuff. Yeah. So I, I guess what's next for me is I want to go back to the kid that thought there's no such thing as no. And why can't I, and let's just have some fun and enjoy it with people who I genuinely care about. And that that's what I want to do more than anything. I don't want to do another deal. I don't want to do another zoom call. I want to do fun stuff for me and the people who I care about it. You know, like I would do a bike ride with you and I wouldn't just say that. Like I would do the Iowa bike, sorry, the bike party, whatever it was. Ragbri, would, ragbri. Right. I would do that like, because that's going to be part of my mission. And if that happens to fall on one of the months, maybe I'll go up there and do it for two days just to experience that. I think for me, I'm, you know, 44. Uh, you sort of feel like you're on the second half of my life. And I do feel like now that my, I have two kids in college and, and one in middle school, but I do feel like I'm at this point and it sounds like you're in the same spot where I want to now learn even more things. And it's like, I have more time. Uh, I was driving kids all over the place. And of course, in the middle of my career, which uh, takes up so much of your time, focus and energy, 
And now I feel like, man, I want to learn, just like you said, learn how to cook more, learn how to do this more, travel to more places, you know, uh, uh, check out new businesses uh, for investments, yeah. do things that are different than all I've uh, d done before. And I feel like yeah. the second half is going to be even better than the first half is. is yeah, and, and deeper than that, for anybody watching, if you have like two followers or five followers, just kidding. <laughs> the point is, is the stuff I just spoke about doesn't cost money. Because that's the first thing people will say. Oh, yeah, well, you can afford to go do this and do that. Now, a cooking class is 10 bucks. A painting class is $15. Anybody can kind of do that once a month. You can do it. You just can't. So I want to do I want to go to a museum that's free. Just walk around. I've never done that. Like little things like that is what I mean by by experiences. And I think that with all that, I'll become not only a better maybe human, but I think I'll be more diverse and it will spill over into other aspects of my life on stuff that, you know, you probably met your girlfriend where you didn't go out saying, I'm going to meet my girlfriend tonight. You met her on some weird little fluke. The best things that happened in your life were not planned. You just put yourself in some sort of a position and they happen. I go back to all the cool stuff I've ever done. It didn't happen because I planned it out. The only thing I planned on doing was being in the moment, kind of being around and good things kind of happen. I want to do more of, of that. I don't want to, I don't want to like prove a point to anybody. I want to make a difference. You know, I want to learn from people who I don't agree with. Like, I'm really intrigued with that part of it. And it's not just Instagram slogans I'm giving you. I'm like, yeah. really going to plan this out for me. What I find interesting for me is the, uh, I feel like seeds planted long ago in various ways, whether it's work or relationships, don't rarely actually sort of come back and give me shade later. But but sometimes they do. And and out of nowhere, I get a phone yeah. call from somebody I haven't talked to in 10 years or 15 years, but we had a short conversation a long time ago. They want to do some business or do this or do that. It's amazing. The I think when you get to, to our age, that sort of second half yeah. is the you start you start getting some of the returns on all that work uh, and those relationships that you put your sort of heart and soul into over the course of the last 20 or, or, or 30 years. Well, for those of you who aren't an athlete or in the entertainment business, a singer, dancer, whatever it is, when you watch an athlete such as yourself, they only saw you for the two and a half hours on the field. They didn't see the other 22 and a half hours. Did I do the math wrong? 21 and a half hours. So those other 21 and a half hours, there's a lot of stuff that goes in to make up for that when the spotlight is on. You know, I say people say LeBron James, you know, you only know LeBron James for that three hour period during a basketball game, the other 21 hours, all that is prep for that. So when you say all the years, that was all prep for some of the shade yeah. that's coming now. Winning in the dark. They call that winning in the dark now, which is yeah, all the, all the, all the time you're putting in when no one's watching, that is actually where you win a game or, or where you win a deal or whatever it might be. And yeah, uh, no, but, but most of us just go, oh, you, you play a sport. That's it. How hard can it be? You got to go out there a couple hours uh, a week and that's it. And we all know that's only, a small part of it. Well, Joe, I appreciate. Do you uh, really? Everybody says I do. Appreciate. Do I really? do. Well, one one thing is I, I appreciate your time, but two, I just well, I just really just wanted to catch up with you and see how it was going. I was on Facebook the other day. Mm -hmm. uh, if you find Joe Mobahill on Facebook and he befriends you, uh, just about every year he does this first day of school thing with his daughters, right. where they walk out of the front door. He has a script. I assume it's a script pre-planned. Um, he calls really. Them invoice really? one invoice two invoice three you do that all totally off of i have an idea so here's what happened so here's what happened so my kid uh this is the great example of energy so the day before my kid goes to kindergarten class she's all upset she's crying and i'm thinking to myself how does a five-year-old get emotional 
Well, then I look at her mom and her mom's emotional. And I'm like, really? So my kid is learning that tomorrow going to school is not a good thing because you're crying, not the five-year-old. So I said to my father, her name is Tripoli. I said, hey, Trip, uh, tomorrow, you know, you get announced before you go to school. She was like, huh? I said, yeah, you get announced before you go to school. And she's like, uh, okay, kind of whatever. That morning, she woke me up. I said, Dad, do I get announced today? And I'm like, oh, yeah. And I, so I got up. I went by the door and I said, ladies and gentlemen, going to school for the first time. Tripoli Mobile. Bah, 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 bah. And she walks out like all proud and she goes to school. I didn't think nothing of it. The next year. Dad, do I get introduced again today? I'm like, well, yeah, you do. I introduce her again. Well, then what happens is I have a second kid that I introduce. And then I start getting boring with just, hey, going to school. Bye. So I start throwing in, you know, she got a gap in her teeth like Michael Strahan. She needs braces. She just or, started her period. I mean, you're, you're starting to describe them like she's the hippie of the children or yeah. she's no longer shopping at Payless and Target. She's on to Saks Fifth Avenue or yeah. whatever. Yeah, you start you to... It. But right. as, as someone who doesn't know your kids, you start to actually get to know them just a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but the best yeah. is the reaction. Uh, the older they get, they're they're embarrassed, but they you can tell they love it. That, yeah. That's what to me is the coolest thing. But they want to be embarrassed and they yeah. want to put their hand in the camera. But really, they actually uh, love the fact that you're you have all this excitement at six thirty in the morning. The sun's yeah. just coming up. Your voice is raspy, yeah. but you get that energy. You've always had that energy. Uh, uh, obviously, learned from a young age in the entertainment industry. But uh, every time I've ever talked to you, you had great energy, positive energy, and uh, I, I again, I really do. I, I do appreciate you coming well, on. Thank and you. If yeah. I come to Orlando for a, a, an event or a bowl game or something, uh, or go to Disney. Uh, I will. You call me. I'll give you a call. No, no, no. You did call me. Uh, Iowa State was playing in the, yeah, they're playing Orlando a couple years ago, and I tried to connect with you. We didn't, we didn't have connecting, but. uh, You had had uh, to call me and said, I'm coming to Orlando. And I was like, of all times, I'm actually going to New York to hang out over the holidays. I remember that. And I think you guys played like December 20 something. I remember that. Yeah. Like December 28th, Iowa State was playing Notre Dame and I actually ended up trained Ian book uh, uh, the next year um, as the, he was Notre Dame quarterback. And, and, you know, I get to train these kids every once in a while. Sometimes they're the actual opponents. So that's just yeah. sort of the way, that's the way it works out. But uh, that was last time in Orlando. Maybe I'll get there again soon. Uh, I appreciate your, I do appreciate your time. Uh, happy holidays to you and your family. Thank you. Uh, and I and I'm going to be paying attention uh, to see what uh, what you have in store for for Boys to Men and, and the other groups you work with uh, in the coming year. Yeah, we should have some fun. And again, anybody listen out there, it, it it's happened to, to you, Sage. It's happened to me that we do live this crazy fantasy life. We didn't plan for it, nor do we even expect it. So for those of people that are out there that think, oh, it's not going to happen for me. Trust me. I used to say the same thing. Everybody else says, you got to say it's going to happen and positive. But I'm a realist. I never thought I'd be doing what I'm doing. I mean, it's it's just stay consistent. If you stay consistent, something's going to happen. What? Nobody knows. Iowa everywhere.